0: Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experience, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared. And today we have a special Halloween episode, which is one of
1: my favorites. Uh, Anybody who knows me knows that I love spooky stories, cool like um, true stories, and uh, there's just so much unknown out there and I think it's so interesting to dive into some of those uh stories and, and people's experiences pretty much anybody you talk to has had some kind of crazy experience I was talking to a guy at my work uh this is just a preamble to the episode <laughs> uh, and he was like oh yeah I got a cousin who goes camping at like Gettysburg and stuff he's like he sees stuff all the time and I was like dude so That'd pretty wild uh so uh, this is we, we kind of today we're going to share some stories that uh, we've and some interesting war stories as well uh, And so uh, let's go ahead and dive into this episode Alright, let's do it
0: You can't climb the ladder of success With your hands in the pocket We will not go quietly into the night They tell me you're a manly True grit
1: I am the one who knocks
0: Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever
1: That's how winning is done
0: Alright, so <clears throat> today we, uh, we're we going to start off our episode with Jared and I had, uh, we did this last last Halloween too. We kind of put together some stories and then, uh, those were personal stories though. So if you want to go back and check out
1: yeah, our Halloween episode from 2020, I think it was one of the, the first it's five like, yeah, we did. Yeah, it's like
0: did. four or five or something. It was right like when we
1: it. started and we were like, yeah, we got to do this. And then we told kind of personal stories about our, our experiences with the paranormal. So if you haven't, seen or listen to that one, go back and watch that one too.
0: Yeah. And typically our podcast is, is, is more of a conversational type, uh, that Jared and I talking or us talking with somebody, interviewing somebody. But every now and then we, we, we do a little something special, a little more theatrical. A little more theatrical. We'll, uh, uh, add in some sounds and pre-record uh, a part of the episode uh, just to make it a little bit more interesting. And like we couldn't think of a better time to do it than with these uh, some of these Halloween stories. So uh, Jared and I each put together a, a spooky story and then we're, we're gonna go ahead and, and play them here and we can listen to them and kind of react to them together. We haven't heard w- with the other ones. So um, we're gonna kind of react to those. And then we have some other spooky stories. General spooky stories, and there's a couple ones that that talk about uh, war stories from war. Yeah, some spooky stories from war.
1: Yeah, because if you think of like like the war stories, and one of the reasons why we chose like war scary stories is because I feel like of all the people that are out there, you know, soldiers have to battle the climate. You know, they're in climates where it's the heat, the the jungle, the 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 cold, or, or the terrain. They also have to fight the wild the wildlife, whether that's camel spiders or snakes or bugs or poisonous plants they also have to fight the enemy itself. So they're hyper aware of what's going on. And so when you're in a situation where someone is so aware of every single threat that's around them, they're going to notice these, these paranormal things more often, especially because they have a trained eye. And so I thought, I think these, these stories from war are just really cool.
0: Yeah, man, yeah, I agree. And so, uh, the, my, my, my clip is not about war, though. No, uh, mine, mine isn't. Mine isn't. But we're going to tell these. those stories later. Uh, yeah. So stay tuned.
1: Yes, exactly. So let's go ahead and let's do Ethan's first. Uh, I'm excited to hear uh, what this is. Let's go ahead and roll that tape.
0: Okay. All right. Here we go. Have you ever heard a sound at night that you couldn't explain? Have you ever been in the woods and felt that you were not alone? This is the story of the Wailing Woman. Throughout Latin America, you'll hear variations of the story of La Llorona, or the Wailing Woman. Sometimes she's lost a husband, sometimes she's lost her children. But in La Parva, a ski spot in the Chilean Andes, the Wailing Woman is named Layla, and everyone in the area swears they knew her before she died. A local restaurant owner says he dated her, skiers say they remember her, and there is even a ski patrol that pointed out the exact cabin where this tale takes place. The story starts on a nice day in peak ski season. Layla and her young son John (laughs) plan to spend the day on the slopes. As can happen in the Andes, a thick fog rolled up from the valley which often precedes the arrival of wind and a dangerous storm. The clouds enveloped the two as they were making their way down from the top of the mountain, and they lost contact with one another. Desperate to find her son, Layla began screaming his name and searched hysterically through the thick snow and fog. Unable to see clearly, she stumbled down a steep slope and began sliding towards a rocky cliff. As she fell over the cliff, she screamed as her head smashed and her bones broke against the rocks below. For what seemed like forever, she screamed her son's name, but eventually gave into exhaustion. a local lift operator who was returning to his cabin through the thick snow heard something strange it sounded like crying as he searched through the blinding snow the wailing got louder and louder sending a chill down his spine. Exhausted from walking through the deep snow, he decided to head back, until... A bloodied hand shot out of the snow and grabbed his leg. He had stumbled across Layla's mangled body. She looked like she was dead, but on closer inspection he found that she was alive, just barely. Her body was covered in lacerations from sharp rocks, and the only word she said, in the finest whisper, was her son's name. As she moaned from the pain, the lift operator, as carefully as possible, dragged her body to his cabin, which was just up the hill. While she wailed and cried in agony, he bandaged her cuts the best he could and told her he would be back as he ran out the door to fetch the doctor. Together, the doctor and the lift operator made their way back to the cabin. When they arrived though, the door to the cabin was wide open. Did you leave the door open, the doctor said? "No." Replied the lift operator. As they entered the cabin, the bed where Layla was lying was empty, and only the bloody sheets remained. One can only assume that, not wanting to leave her son, the woman crawled from the bed, bloodied and broken, across the cabin floor and into the winter storm, leaving a trail of blood covered by fresh snow. They searched and searched, but neither the woman nor her son were ever found. But still to this day, locals report that if you listen closely to the howling wind, you can hear her wail for her child whenever you are near that cabin.
1: Okay, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So love the John uh the Terminator two reference. Uh that was awesome. Call to John now. <laughs> John? Uh John? yeah, La Llorona. That was very La famous La in Mexico. Yeah. Dude, there's lots of crazy videos online about the the Yorona, um, the the whaler, the whaling yeah. woman. It's huge in Mexico, huge. And almost any person you ever talk to in Mexico, they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen, I've heard of La Llorona. You're like, dude.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a true story, right? I mean, it's crazy to to the fact of like, that's, I don't know, an urban legend, right? I mean, true story is, yeah, yeah. Something happened, but. Well, it's funny
1: that this Mm -hmm. same legend. Is in Mexico, too, and it has nothing to do with some ski resort, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, some mother lost her child, and she's always searching for, in Mexico, it's like the legend says that she's always searching for around down by the
0: water. Yeah, down by the river. I and
1: uh, down by the van, and <laughs> down by the river. And so, uh, you know, it's an, it's interesting. Uh, always love that. I'll have to post some of those crazy videos that people have that, like, that uh, supposedly, if you hear La Llorona calling for you, or c- screaming, you're supposed to walk towards the sound because the closer you get to the sound, uh, the actually further away that she actually is. I don't know how that actually works, but um, that's, the, hmm. that's how the legend... So if she sounds really far away, she's actually right up on you. So, just saying. Well,
0: are, you sure, I, are you sure about that? Because if you, I, thought I don't want to be walking towards something I, if I'm supposed to be walking away from something. I've seen several TikToks with Mexicans <laughs> explaining this, so... <laughs> I
1: don't know. That, that's not that's not an official opinion. Yeah,
0: uh, uh, yeah. There's some interesting on Instagram and stuff like that. There's people that you know share their experiences, and that, that's cool with uh, social media nowadays. It's like there's um, there's so much accessibility across just communication and and able to to communicate with people that people can share their stories. And I mean, there's people about. I'm talking about even in the Appalachian Mountains, just right here, they're like, you know, if you hear things or you hear something calling your name, ignore it. Yeah, just completely ignore it. Especially if it sounds like a family member that shouldn't be out there. Yeah, and it's so like, that's a skinwalker. You know, yeah. I, I remember one time we were camping up in uh, up in the Appalachian Mountains, and um, we had hiked in a couple miles, and it was like a scout trip, and. Uh, all of the leaders had gone to bed and there was like five or six of us kids. We were probably the age of, I don't know, 12 to 16. And, um, we were all sitting around the fire. We were talking, having a good time. We really weren't trying to be quiet or anything. And then all of a sudden we heard like the most blood curdling scream I've ever heard in my entire life. I mean, it was just like, I mean, we were just talking, 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 and we heard this scream, and it was just silent. And we were so scared. Yeah. I mean, it was like so freaking scared. And so we all just dropped down like as low as we could. We were sitting on these logs, and we just like dropped down to the ground as low as we could, like got close into the fire. And we were all just like, what was that? And then it was probably 30 seconds later, and it happened again. It was just like... Rah- a bobcat. And I'm we were like, lying. yeah, we were like, what the heck is that? Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, I, I remember like, I couldn't even sleep that night. I mean, it was just crazy. I think we all actually, got our sleeping bags out of our tents and slept around the fire, like, like head to foot, all the <laughs> circle around the fire. Cause we were so scared. And, um, I don't know. I still, to this day, I don't know what it was. It could have been a bobcat or something, or, or I think maybe it could have been like a screeching owl. Maybe. Um, that was making that kind of sound or maybe like a sometimes um, yeah I don't know what, I have no idea what it was but it was freaking scary I've heard some bobcats
1: uh, make some crazy sounds well just like videos and stuff and it sounds like a woman being absolutely
0: murdered that's what it sounded like
1: and it is like frightening to hear and I'm like oh my gosh like yeah. I saw this one guy and he was hunting and he heard this thing and he was recording it and I was like whoa
0: yeah and this was like in the middle of the woods at 2 o'clock in the morning yeah, that's crazy. And Yeah, was, uh, that was interesting. That's
1: wild. Well, let's go ahead and listen to Kay. mine. Mine's uh, a true story. that I found this one on Reddit. Uh, somebody just kind of talking about their experience. I thought this was a crazy, wild experience. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy. Okay, here we go. I grew up and live in Carlsbad, New Mexico, somewhat famous for our many caves. Anyone who has been to this area of the state knows there isn't much to do. So when I was young, my parents got into spelunking more commonly known as good old caving. There are some surprising number of people in the wild cave community in the area, and as such, a few creepy cave stories circulate amongst them. I have been caving since childhood, and one of the stories cavers tell always held me in particular fascination. If you've never been to a wild cave before, they're not like the Carlsbad Caverns or Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Usually we camp near the entrance, and there are no lights, no paved walkways or paths, and the only way many caves are marked so that cavers know the safe path are piles of rocks spaced at critical points called cairns. A very common practice amongst cavers is what I always called in my mind the blackout. Everyone amongst a group finds a safe, comfortable spot, preferably away from a large pit or lake, to sit, and then we all turn off our lamps and flashlights. The absolute darkness of the cave is something you really cannot grasp unless you yourself have done this. The only noise you hear is the dripping of water and the rushing of blood through your ears. This usually lasts anywhere between one to five minutes. Depending on the group, however, it is during one of these blackouts my mother first told my sister and I about the bodags. She says no caver has ever actually seen a bodag. But that they've heard unexplained things inside the caves. Footfalls when everyone was already stopped, soft scraping noises in the darkness, or down dark passages. She told us that if you do not properly respect the cave while you are visiting, the Bodags will move cairns, attempting to get you lost in the deep dark underground world they inhabit. She went on to say that if you make it out of the cave, they sometimes follow you back to your camp and wreak havoc. I'm skeptical by nature, and while this tale scared the crap out of me as a kid, as an adult I found it amusing, that is, until this last weekend. My husband, two kids, and family friends all went camping in the Guadalupe Mountains and planned on visiting a pretty big but easy cave Saturday. Honestly, everything was going pretty fine down there until my eight-year-old son decided it was a good idea to start throwing rocks into a large cave lake. These are delicate lakes lined with beautiful stone dams, and I immediately got pissed told him to cut it out or the bodags would get him. We continued on further into the darkness until I had everyone sit down for the blackout. For the first timers as our friends were this cave can be pretty creepy except this time during the blackout I swear I heard something unnerving. We were situated at the top of a large hill, which descended in a pretty steep incline down to a lower part of the cavern. It was down this hill during the blackout that I kept hearing a strange scraping noise, almost as if something or someone was crawling through a soft, powdery dirt of the dry cave floor. It was intermittent and went on for a good three minutes until I got super creeped out and cut the blackout off short, and decided it was a good time to head out of the cave. Nobody else mentioned anything, and I was trying to play it cool, so neither did I. We didn't run into anything more until the very last leg of the hike out. When I looked back, just as we were about to go through the entrance, I thought I saw it. A darker shape in the corner, very low to the ground, as if peering up around a formation. Of course, when I shined my light on the spot, nothing was there. That night at the camp, sitting around the campfire, while the adults proceeded to get good and drunk, the kids sat around telling stories and making s'mores. Typical kid stuff. My son had bought one of those instant Polaroid cameras to take pictures and was doing just that with it that night around the campfire. The next morning as we were packing up, I found Polaroids in the tent and started going through them. Most of them were pretty normal. However, the ones from the campfire the night before definitely were not. perimeter of the firelight, where it was light enough to see, but too dark to see well, were figures. It's the best way I can describe them, not even dark figures. They almost appeared to be pale, blurry figures. Mostly up in the trees or lower to the ground, but further out in the darkness. Some of them had enough definition where you could see the darker spots of warped facial features. It was the most disturbing thing I've ever come across, because as I said, I am not a believer on the supernatural or paranormal. Am I a believer now? I'm not sure. What I am sure about is something freaking weird showed up in those photos, and the next time I enter a cave, I'll be thinking about it. I might be listening extra hard to hear the scraping of something crawling in the dark. The only thing that ever comes to mind when I think about my experience this weekend are the boat eggs. So, anybody who's ever been in a cave, uh, that would be super creepy. You're like, what in the heck? That is uh bad news bears. You do not want to run into something in the dark.
0: No, that was good. I like the uh um the like that the the bass in there. It's like boom. Yeah. It's just like yeah. I've been in <clears throat> I mean, we we've both been in some caves that are just like they turn off the lights and it is the definition of utter darkness. I mean, there's yeah. nothing. No
1: light, nothing. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, like on what was that movie? Lord of the Rings. When he's like, "Don't disturb the." When he's like, "the the the hobbits are throwing the rocks into the water," and he's like, "Don't disturb the water." <laughs> and then uh, the, <laughs> the huge, huge octopus. Comes, yeah, he cracked like, them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was a cool story. I thought I was like, yeah, that, that was like, "Yeah, that was really awesome. good." But uh, so let's share some more stories. Uh, uh, I have one here. So uh, this was kind of one that two things caught my eye in here. The first one I tried to look more into, but I, I couldn't find anything. So this is all stuff that I found on Reddit, different stories. Uh, so these are kind of cool. So this one said, uh, as a grunt, we had jokes going too. Even after pretty much my entire platoon had all seen the red-eyed walking things and we're all pretty freaked out. So I don't know what the red eye walking things are, but that sounds pretty creepy. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to, um,
0: unless I had a gun. But yeah, still. I
1: tried to find dig more into that, but I couldn't find anything. Uh, we even made a war cry for it. Yeah, I'm sure you had some terrifying moments knowing uh, that thing will destroy you. Man, there was also a morning where we all had our clear, had, all had to clear a mangled. Uh, mangled bodies out of a village where about 30 to 40 villagers were ripped apart brutally. CIA was there interviewing the few survivors and we never found out what happened. The day of our, That day our first sergeant said we might have to get security clearances. Never heard a word, another word. Our CEO told us to just put that memory in a book and keep it shut in our mind the rest of our lives. How freaking strange, man. We made it me and my battle buddies still talk about it and it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck rural weird third world countries with violent disturbing religious spiritual histories of course there's weird crap happening so that's kind of crazy you know you go into a village of 30 to 40 people that have just been massacred and yeah. like ripped to shreds by something and then <laughs> you know I was like don't talk about this. The CIA is already there on site investigating what's going on. Yeah,
0: lock it in the book and don't talk about it. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. You think you know, especially um, in like like Vietnam. I found lots of stories about Vietnam, and I mean, I can only imagine. Just you're walking through the dense jungle, your your senses are so extremely heightened anyway that you're that you could step on a mine or you could uh walk up on the enemy or whatever else and just in in just the drop of a hat it, you, it it could be on you right hellfire would be on you um and uh i i had one story from vietnam basically uh and it's called the the ghouls in the jungle it's, it's so, not like something you don't want to run into no No, not at all. Uh, So, (laughs) Uh, the red eyed creatures. (laughs) Yeah. Marines in Vietnam would often try and recruit locals to help guide them through some of the areas of operations that they were in. Um, In some areas, the locals were super fearful of going into some of the densest and darkest parts of the jungle. Uh, that they just would outright refuse. Uh, and they would say that the reason that they w- didn't want to go in there was because there was local superstition of, fa- of phantoms called Ma that were, uh, they occupied the trees, they lived in the trees. And uh, it's really interesting because it, it shared a little bit about how in certain parts of Vietnam, the jungle was so thick that it was what they called a triple canopy there's three levels of trees and canopy that even during the, the middle of the day, um, it was so, it was a dark, almost. Like you needed a flashlight to see where you were going. Um, wow.
1: And in some places. No wonder they tried to de all the
0: stuff with, was it?
1: Agent Orange. <laughs> Agent Orange, so, yeah.
0: so here we go. So uh, they warned the U.S. troops um, that reanimated corpses awaited them in the trees. And the Marines, of course, were like, you know, I'm just blowing this off. They're like, this is zombies. This is in a, the trees. This is hoodoo voodoo stuff. Just whatever. They just kind of blew off the folklore. Um, but starting in 1965, it actually became really real for a couple of uh, the different platoons that were there. Uh, American troops in the jungle in Vietnam began uh, reporting ghostly figures moving supernaturally through the trees. Others reported that fanged creatures with black eyes that would try to kidnap and consume unsuspecting soldiers. In one of these encounters, the beasts were found to be bulletproof. Um, It didn't matter what time of day, uh, the corpses lived both day and night, taking refuge under this, these, uh, the, the, in the trees under the three canopies. Um, they say that this is the real reason, and it was kind of similar to what you had come across. As they said, "Hey, stop saying, don't say anything about it. Don't talk about it. When you bring it back to camp, if you encounter something, don't say anything about it. Don't talk about it because you'll scare the other soldiers." Yeah. yeah. And so they said this is the real reason that the military started using um, and developed Agent Orange in Napalm was to destroy the canopy so that these creatures didn't have anywhere to uh, to hide. Oh, this was the real reason. Yeah. That's what they said. <laughs> That's what it says. And so the Marines would be able to kind of roll in with just flamethrowers and and be able to kind of eliminate any types of these creatures that they that they had there. So, so. did anybody see any? Yeah, I mean, they, they saw some and they had shot at some. There's reports of them shooting at them and said they were they were bulletproof. You know, Some people said that they were just figures that would move quickly in the trees. And then other people that got a little bit closer said that they were fanged creatures with black eyes. Oh, jeez. Um, which, that'd be freaking scary. And the thing is, is that when you're in the middle of the jungle, you're exhausted from you know, days and days and days of humping miles and miles and miles all around Vietnam in the jungle. You haven't, you haven't gotten good sleep. You haven't gotten good food. You haven't gotten, you know, you're exhausted and you're running around. You're scared for your life anyway. I'm sure people see things that maybe aren't there. Maybe they hallucinate things or maybe, I mean, those jungles are full of animals. Maybe it was, you know, Leopards or jaguars or something jumping through the trees. Or and vampires. They, yeah, I mean they didn't know what it was. <laughs> or maybe there's something out there in the the thick of the jungle that even the the natives, the locals that lived in that area, were like,
1: nah, no
0: go on that area. It's, you guys can go in there. <laughs> yeah. We're not.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I was reading one story about in Afghanistan how they there's like a mound right outside of Kabul that they use as like a base and basically they were, all these soldiers were saying like on this thread, they were like, yeah, that place is totally haunted. And then someone was pointing out, it's like, you know that like back in like things, that area is so old. Like back in like the Alexander the Great times, like that was a mass grave. And like what that base is on top of, even though it's a, it's like a mound of bodies yeah, that that is on top of. And people have reported all kinds of like hot, cold, you know, women crying and, and hearing things. Um, so here's another one I found. It was Afghanistan. I thought this was a kind of a wild story. Uh, for, on a, it was on a, th- a uh, Reddit thread. It said, one of the strangest uh, talking about stories came from some guys who had spent a couple tours in Afghanistan, though I don't really know exactly the, the exact location. Uh, it says, in any case, they told us how during one of their patrols, they heard a distinct thwomp thwomp sound of a, of a helo approaching at a low altitude. Expecting to see an Apache or something come up over the ridge, they were shocked to see an old Soviet-era transport chopper come flying up over this low ridge line. Everyone goes into a panic mode, not sure if, it, if the Taliban had a bird up or if uh, the thing was going to swing their way. Um, it kept its distance and seemed to be hovering and looking for something, performing a search pattern before it took ground fire from, the, from a position of uh, tally up north from where these guys were. The bird healed and bleached smoke and they watched it spiral into the ground and explode with the, this loud boom. Researching, uh, reaching it, its position, they searched for any Taliban or shooters left but couldn't find any indication that, that a firefight had taken place. What's more, when they made it to the, where the chopper had gone down, they found that the wreckage was aged. I mean seriously aged been there from around the time the Soviets first invaded. They never did figure out what happened and where and were all pretty shaken up by the experience to say the least, so that's crazy sand for a while it was almost like a time loop or something Yeah, that was crazy no no not necessarily kind of spooky, but also it's just kind of crazy, yeah, Can you imagine like going up on that helicopter and finding you know half buried in the sand nothing there very aged and you're like whoa i just literally saw this in the sky like 5 minutes it was almost like a
0: some kind of time portal or something yeah like a yeah time warp or something that crazy interesting um a glitch in the matrix if you will a glitch in the matrix <laughs> i had i kind of had a personal story this one's not um this one's not about war but um my, my first job out of college, I worked doing uh, uh, life insurance sales out of um, fi- final expense insurance for life insurance. And uh, one of the, the places that I was consulting was a, a funeral home mortuary. And I, I saw some really interesting things that I never really thought I would be exposed to. Um, at this mortuary, you know, I uh, went on a couple of uh, pickup calls, where someone passes away and you go to either their home or to the hospital and you pick them up from the morgue, or uh, you know you put them in the the body bag and then you take them back to the take them back to the mortuary. That was really interesting. Um, also uh, watched a portion of the embalming process. Um, that was really kind of interesting. Uh, got to, made pretty good friends with the people that did the, the cremations and stuff like that. I got to assist in a couple cremations and just learning the whole process and see how things were happening. Um, one of the things that we would do is we would hold these community events. The, the, the mortuary that we were at was very nice. Um, you know, it was marble floors on the inside and it was just beautiful. Um, and so we'd hold these community events where we'd have, uh, food and we would have you know, we would invite people from the community typically people that uh, are in a, a stage of life planning right and they are thinking about uh, maybe spending down some of their uh, savings or whatever else for retirement and wanting to plan out their their last wishes or their final expenses and, and final uh, uh, wishes so there was a couple times where, We would be at these events until like 9.30 at night, uh, answering questions. We'd have dinner, and then we'd give presentation, and then we'd be there. And there was probably two or three times where I was the last person in the mortuary. And uh, basically, it was my job to uh, go around and turn all the lights off and um, uh, make sure that um, everything was Locked up for the day and and ready for the next day, yeah. Uh, and it got dark, really dark. <laughs> <laughs> You're locking this place up. Um, you know, I remember one time. I, I, I'm not particularly susceptible to, I don't know, say weird things happening, but I remember one time uh, I was locking this place up, and it was just this big hallway that was kind of this this marble tile floor. And uh, the shoes that I had had on or dress shoes, they had like kind of a hard bottom on them, so they would like click as I walked down the floor. Uh, but I remember one time walking; it was probably nine thirty at night. I was turning the lights off, and you had to turn the light off at the beginning of the hallway and walk in the dark all the way to the end. Oh gosh, the, the those guys did that hallway. on purpose, man! <laughs> and so I'm walking, and I, I you know I hear my shoes clack, 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 walk in, and then I could have swore that I heard two sets of shoes walking so mine and somebody else's so i could have swore i heard a second pair of clack 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 walking behind me and i I turned around and there was nothing there and i was just like did you have your flashlight on, on your phone no i didn't i was no. just like i mean I, y- y- there was light at the end of the hall because i had to turn There was like a little room at the end where you had to turn that one off too before you went outside so i mean there was some light but um there was nothing there, and it was it was just kind of that was an interesting. That's weird. It's kind of like the kind of like thing where you're downstairs in the basement, you turn the lights off, coming upstairs, and then you turn it's the strong. light off. You're just like, go, and yeah. you like you like make up the stairs in two steps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I had I, I worked with there was there was people. I asked people all the time if they had weird stories, but I had this one lady I worked with there. She was a a funeral director, and so she worked primarily with people that had loved ones and had passed away. I didn't. I just was trying to learn the business and I was uh, working with people pre-need so before there was uh, any kind of death. Yeah. Um, but she said that she had all kinds of stories and one story that she told me one time was she was in a similar situation. This said it was a couple years before I got there. But she was in a similar situation where she was closing up that night after working with the family and she'd been there for uh, maybe six months to a year and whenever you pulled out, you parked in the back of the mortuary but whenever you pulled out of the parking lot, you had to, um, come down one side of the mortuary that it was kind of a, it was a one lane road that butted up between some trees and then the brick building. And there was a couple of, uh, windows along that, that road. And so she said one night she was the last one in there. She locked everything up. It was pitch black, dark. And as she was pulling out, she was driving her car and She was passing these windows, and in one of these windows, she saw a little girl standing there. Oh, wow. Yeah, like standing there in the window. With the light on? No, the light wasn't on, but she could see it was a little girl dressed in... I mean, she had the headlights from her car, a little girl standing in the window in between the blinds and the window. So, like the blinds were behind the girl, and and she was standing there. She said she was wearing a little white dress. And uh, she said... I, she, she had never done the funeral for a little girl before. Huh. Um, she said she's probably sure that there had been before. Uh, but she said she didn't go back in. She just kept yeah. going. <laughs> she I was like, I just, get, she, yeah, she said. got lost in the yeah, funeral home. <laughs> she said, uh, she said, the, the next day I made sure that I wasn't the first one there in the morning. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, exactly. it was crazy. They, they was, it, it was kind of the type of thing where, it was kind of taboo a little bit to talk about stuff like that because it's not as professional and it's kind of, you know, like a little bit taboo, but there was, there were some people that kind of opened up and, and, and shared some things once you got to know them a little bit.
1: Yeah. That's cool. Crazy. Man, we should get a funeral director in here to talk about some of the wild stories that they've experienced. Yeah. Someone with like a, like a 30 year career as a funeral director. I mean, I'm sure they got wild stories. Oh yeah! Not just of seeing spooky stuff, but like of what families. You know, when when people die, in families, families like fall apart. Like
0: people, people do weird. People, people do, do weird things. All kinds duress, of stuff yeah. for
1: money and, and duress. And, um, well, I, I just have a, a kind of a small uh, story. Um, one of the interesting things that I've always found fascinating were the uh, the gremlins uh, that were said to be on uh, airplanes. Uh, it, it, especially during World War II, starting kind of in early 1900s and then in World War II. In fact, you know who Charles Lindbergh is? Mm-hmm. He did the transatlantic flight. The airplane guy? Uh, yeah. In 1927, uh, his New York to Paris flight is a classic example uh, of one of these things. He wrote he, he The Spirit of St. Louis. So he related what happened to him during the most critical period of the crossing, the 21st and 22nd hour just before dawn. When he had been without sleep for nearly forty eight hours. He said, quote, The fuselage behind me becomes filled with ghostly presences, transparent, moving, riding, weightless in the plane. Uh he also he, he continued to write, I feel no surprise without turning my head, I see them clearly. Hmm. Crazy, right?
0: Wonder if that's like exhaustion. He goes on, or he says
1: able make sure might be a big short but he goes on and says these phantoms speak with human voices friendly vapor like shapes able to vanish or appear at will to pass in and out through the walls of the fuselage as through as though no walls were there he said he never once was frightened frightened so kind of crazy uh when you talk about gremlins there's actually they have all these different classes of gremlins you know the kind that uh, the, the jockey, the ones that's able to sit cross-legged between the wings of the wayward seagull or, or a pigeon and, and guide the bird into the windscreen. Uh, the cavity types that, that had shovel-shaped noses and they used to dig runaway holes. So you know these different things like the, uh, the strato gremlins these, these ones uh, took over for others and the members of their, of their species they, uh, they lined the inside and out with f- fur. In such a frost blue, they had, they they were like had coats that had uh, fur and like uh, they had uh, oxygen. They carried oxygen masks and tanks on their backs, you know. And, and there's just some some crazy stuff that uh, that people would say. And there these different ones would do different things.
0: People saying they saw these. Yeah, things. Yeah, like on, on airplanes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so it, I think it became it became kind of a, 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 a legend, and and uh, some of them actually thought. Uh, that there was they were German spies, or somehow the Germans were messing with some kind of paranormal thing against the British. But then after the war, they talked to German pilots, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we saw these things too." And so one of the better-known accounts concerning these apparently mischievous and vicious creatures during World War II occurs over the skies of Europe, as a pilot ref, uh, referred to as L.W. took his B-17 uh, flying fortress on a lat- on the on its latest lat. On his latest mission. He says out of nowhere he noticed a bizarre but menacing creature looking in at him from outside the plane. He soon noticed a second creature perched on the nose of the bomber. The description he gave later would match completely that of other pilots of the era. The creatures were around one to two meters or three to four feet tall and had lots of teeth. On this occasion, they had glowing red eyes. He would also note how their arms were disproportionately long. So kind of creepy in this, in this sense, he says after coming to his senses, LW began to fly the B-17 erratically in the hopes that the creatures would lose their grip, which they eventually appeared to do. Although he could not see what became of them. It was clear. It was on days later. It was only days later. He listened to another pilot talking of, of seeing the same creatures that LW de- decided to come forward and make his, uh, his claim. And so, uh, kind of, kind of, some crazy stories. Um,
0: they really became. If, you, if you've ever uh, seen any gremlins or anything, come tell us. Yes. Yeah. Please. Write us about it. We would definitely have you on. Uh, yes.
1: Exactly. Uh, there was um, the 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 myth of the gremlin kind of became woven into the fabric of the military aviation, and it became a way for them to blame really anything. Uh, that went wrong. You know, you go up and you have some kind of issue with your plane. oh
0: those gremlins. You know, mechanical they, issues. You know,
1: right? you know, they messed up. Yeah, one of the quotes was that morale amongst RAF or real Air Force pilots would have suffered if they pointed finger or of blame at each other. Uh, and the guy continued said, if instead, um, it was far better to make a scapegoat of a fantastical, comical creature. Uh, than another member of your squadron. So it was almost like a way to not to just blame, blame each other, yeah. To just blame something else, a comical or a fantastic creature, uh, than to blame each other. But, you know, so some people say there are some legitimate like stories. Like the first guy that ever saw this, this was in 1917. Uh, and he was the newly constituted Royal Air Force in 1918, uh, have decided to have uh, detected the existence of a horde of mysteries and malicious spirits whose purpose in life was to bring about as many uh possible uh, inexplicable mishaps which is now um uh trouble for most airmen's lives so it kind of started happening uh you know early even that early on so anyway kind of interesting uh some some crazy uh stories there
0: but always always love the stories of gremlins and and the Royal Air Force in World War II. Yeah. It's just so cool talking about stuff that, <clears throat> stories that you, you can't explain. Honestly, I kind of believe that in some of these instances, there are perfectly good explanations. Mm-hmm. But in some of them, I mean, there's not. It's like, how do, you, <laughs> how do you explain that? Yeah. You know, how, how do you, and how do you explain eyewitnesses? And how do you explain people that are very reputable people? People that, you know, are going to put their reputation on the line by saying something crazy like this, like, you Lindberg, know, like Charles Lindbergh. Yeah, like Lindbergh or like uh even nowadays, some of these With the UFOs. And yeah, stuff too. some of these like military, like high ranking military officials saying, yeah, yeah, we saw things that we, 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 did, we can't explain. We have no idea what they are. And, and just
1: now, the government's starting to say, "Yeah, there's some stuff that we don't know what it is." You know.
0: Yeah, I don't know why it's all of a sudden now they're saying, "Oh yeah, well UFOs do exist. We just don't understand." Uh, because don't the exist.
1: evidence is overwhelming, and yeah. and it's like it, it's they, they can't, can't even, hide it anymore. They can't even hide, hide it anymore. You know. Which I feel like nowadays they just lied almost about anything. You know, it's just yeah. like crazy how many things it's just like bold-faced lies. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. Well, this has been a good episode.
1: Yeah, it's been crazy. Uh, Love Halloween. Love stories. Love this Halloween episode. Uh, Go check out the one from last year again if you haven't seen it. It was great. Uh, And let us know. Send us your stories uh, if you have any cool stories. Always love to hear stories. And so uh, you guys have a great Halloween, and let's build that creed together.
0: All right, let's do it.